ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the debut grand opening of Mad Villain Bistro Bed and Breakfast Bar Grill Cafe Lounge on the Water. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Terry Talks Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Clayton Terry. I'm Ryan Terry. And I'm Ethan Terry. And we have been cooped up in our houses for months at this point. Um, things are just starting to open up where we are, but for the past three or four months, it's been mainly indoors trying to figure out ways to keep ourselves busy. And when we're in those kind of situations, I think the three of us, as well as many people, turn to TV shows and video games and movies and books and art and media that we can enjoy often of the past actually because not a lot's coming out anymore unfortunately making it hard to do a movie podcast but we thought it'd be fun to take some time and just kind of go through all the stuff we've really enjoyed that we've had the time to consume given the quarantine and just kind of talk about how we feel about it give some recommendations for people who are still bored and trapped in the house and to give us something else to do with one of our evenings (laughs) But yeah, why don't, Ryan, why don't we start with you? Do you have anything okay. you'd like to recommend or to talk about? Well, it's, it's just got added to Netflix, and me and Clayton have been working our way through it, but Avatar The Last Airbender is one of the greatest shows ever made. And we're only on season two right now, but the at first watching it, this was what Clayton said, he said first season it was one of the best kids shows that he remembered, and then by second season, it's just one of the best shows. It's the world building's incredible. The stories are instantly, or the characters, sorry, are instantly likable and amazing. And the story is familiar, but has so much life and diversity to it. Like, it's a children's TV show that tackles themes of fascism, censorship, propaganda, uh, hope. It's a very inclusive show i think it's one of the most like anyone could like this show i think everyone kind of does and it's just incredible absolutely and it's worth pointing out that we have seen the whole show we watched it when we were kids but that was it ended in 2008 so i was 10 when it ended and you were seven so very young but the diversity and the representation is definitely something that i love about the show we were just talking at dinner how like None of the characters are really white. Um, It obviously doesn't take place on Earth, so races don't line up one-to-one, but it casts characters who... It animates the characters to look like the cultures that they're kind of taking inspiration from. And Korra, I've heard Korra does the same thing, since Korra's a bisexual character, Mm -hmm. and it's just, like, one of the first shows where it doesn't, like... It has these representational things about it but it doesn't draw attention to them they just kind of are it's just how the world is it's just and i've so we talked about game of thrones in the past and game of thrones is like an entirely white cast yeah and like you can say something like why bother bringing up race in a fantasy fantasy show but also then why do you cast everyone white <laughs> so i just think that's a really amazing thing to see in a kid's show or any show regardless it's the good version of game of thrones that's what we were saying a a better version of game of thrones i would say i agree (laughs) 
I don't know if it's a direct comparison. It's not really a direct comparison. <laughs> I don't know if I like, I the like Game of Thrones both... audience is the same as the Avatar <laughs> I, The Last Airbender. They're both hyper-violent, which yes. has been strange mm-hmm. to see. <laughs> a lot of people die. There's a lot of sex. Yep, all the time. All the time. Do you have a favorite character? Because Avatar is known for its long and really well-planned character arcs. Iroh. Iroh? Iroh's the best character uh, when I get older, I want to be Iroh. <laughs> I want to be fat and have a really long beard and be retired and serve tea. That's all I want to do with my life. Mm-hmm. But you're strong too. I'm very strong. Yes. Yeah. He's very. He's just. The, he's just so extremely likable. I think he's one of the few characters that doesn't change within the runtime of the show. Mm-hmm. He's just a rock for other characters to come to him they need him it's nice when you have all these characters that are constantly changing and constantly learning something for each episode that there is one character that can you can always depend on being iroh mm-hmm. which is really um i mean all the characters are great sokka and katara and ang the, the way the characters grow just in the first two seasons is insane you never feel like a character is the same at the end of one episode for the most part and it's really amazing for any show to do that. It's amazing for a show that is on Nickelodeon that needs to be syndicated and have a ton of reruns, so there needs to be rewatchability. And, like, see, that wasn't really a thing at the time. Like, you didn't have these huge, uh, multiple-season-spanning epics as children's television. You didn't have that. Or family television. Absolutely. Like, like Ryan said, him and I have been watching it together, and... It has. It is now like one of my top three favorite shows. I'm excited to finish it. I don't. This is where we differ. Is Ryan's like, let's finish it today, and I'm like, I'm trying to savor it because it's so easy to like binge things. But uh, it's pretty amazing. It's like all I can think about. Mm-hmm. We stop watching Airbender, and I'm like, I just go on the wiki for Airbender. Yeah. I just watch video essays about Airbender. It's really. It's it's a show that's easy to like get completely drawn into mm-hmm. and that's why i think it's so effective and good and it's only 60 episodes and each episode's yeah. 24 minutes like it's not that long so it's it's totally worth watching if you haven't seen it because it's a bit um it was a bit before, after your time it, or if you watched it as a kid and you want to watch it again absolutely worth it total totally stands up Awesome. So that's Avatar The Last Airbender on Netflix. Ethan, what is something that you've been enjoying during quarantine? So this is music-related. I don't know if this is the only music-related thing we're talking this podcast, is it? Um, I don't have any music things because I don't have Spotify Premium. <laughs> Ryan, I could bring up some stuff at the end, but it's not on my list. <laughs> nah, you don't have to. So uh, lately, I've been listening to Griselda Records. And if you're unfamiliar with Griselda, it's a record label coming out of Buffalo which basically put the city on the map for hip-hop. And it's headed by rapper Westside Gun, his brother Conway the Machine, and then their cousin Benny the Butcher. If you're unfamiliar with their stories, which I imagine most people are, and I imagine you guys are, these uh, they lived crazy lives in Buffalo, and they're <laughs> kind of... And they talk about it, like Westside Gun talks about his brother Conway, and is like, this guy is like the Jay-Z of Buffalo, and like he was in the 90s, and like... They're finally reaching mainstream popularity, which is uh, exciting for me 
coming from Buffalo and loving hip hop so much. And so I've gotten really into their music and have listened to several of their projects. And so I want to list their rate at which they release because they're <laughs> this they're new. This they're. Westside Gun's main biggest album, Fly God, came out in 2016, and that was uh, relatively a hit, but he's basically the one leading this label. And so just in the past year, Gun has released two studio albums, Pray for Paris and Fly God is an Awesome God, and a mixtape, which is Hitler Wears Hermes 7, which is his seventh mixtape of that series. And that was just this year, so that was Gun. Benny the Butcher... Dropped an EP and a collaboration album with Smoke Dizza, if you know who he is. Which is, I love Smoke Dizza, he's great. And then Conway dropped two mixtapes and two collaboration albums. One being with The Alchemist, named Lulu. And all these projects, uh, West Side Guns is probably the most impressive. But Benny's EP, The Plugs I Met, and Conway's new EP, Lulu, they're just so consistent. And they're just so fun to listen to because... It is, so this is how Anthony Fantano describes it. <laughs> when you're listening to the three of them, it is like taking one line of Coke and then taking another line of Coke and then taking a third line of Coke. <laughs> they are hard rappers and mostly the only things they rap about, which could be a put off for most people, they only, it's mostly just street rap. So it's gun talk, cocaine talk, and how they're the best rappers basically. And if you're not into that, I understand how you might be put off from them, but West Side Gun has this charisma that is untouchable in the hip hop scene. If you ever, and if you hear him, you'll recognize him immediately if you've ever heard one of his songs. It's a lot of ad libs that are like guns, or every time he mentions a car, he goes skirt, or there's a lot of do, 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 do. But he, it's become like a signature thing for him. And even on his newest albums, he really embraces it and will go boom, 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 boom like 13 times in a row before he gives out some like crazy detailed story about selling cocaine in like <laughs> the early 2000s probably i imagine but then they released their so that's griselda they're all under griselda records and they're all related and they released an album all together under the griselda name called what would sheen gun do and sheen gun is their friend who's passed away but this album is easily their best effort yet it's their most concise and it's it really they do not compromise in the slightest when it comes to their style it is just pure hard. It's for hard, it's hardcore rap. It really is. It is for people who like Raekwon, people who like even things like Nas, where it's like it's crime talk, but it is taken to another level. And they're not. It's not Kendrick Lamar. They're not ashamed of it. This is the lifestyle that they live and that they embrace and that they kind of encourage. And I appreciate that. And it's fun. It's. It's a breath of fresh air in the hip-hop world because these people are so genuine and they are talking stories that are uh, just important and just, like, thrilling to listen to. It's like listening to... It's like watching a Martin Scorsese movie take place in the city that I live in with rap that I find is interesting, new, because there's no rap scene in Buffalo. So this stuff is completely its own thing. It's not New York rap. It's its own style of rap, which West Side Gun and... Benny and Conway will say a lot, but it it's great, and I think everyone should check them out if they like rap in general, and just check them out. I'm not saying like them, because I can see why people would not be interested in their style, but I find them incredibly breathtaking. 
it's authentic right there's like no veil over they don't put any veil up over who they are it's just like this is our story and we know how to tell it well through this medium yeah definitely and it's also like their product their production style is very reminiscent of like old rap like they're not working with big name producers just because they don't have that type of access as like an coming from like the underground of buffalo so it's a lot of sample heavy which may not impress some people but it just seems so raw and it seems so amateur but like in a good way and Mm -hmm. they keep refining it and the rate that they release is just ridiculous and i'm excited to see what they do next west side gun supposedly is going to have a mad lib collaboration at some point uh they have one song on his on his second latest album maybe uh fly god is an awesome god called gun lib which is a song they worked on together which is really good but man yeah they are just they are fun to watch and they're like yeah a breath of fresh air for hip-hop uh where would you recommend someone start if they wanted to get into so i would recommend what would sheen gun do or wwcd is just what it, it abbreviates to is probably their best effort but their most accessible so their most accessible album is probably the newest album from Westside God called Pray for Paris. It features Joey Badass, Tyler the Creator, which is probably the biggest names to feature on a Griselda project yet, other than maybe Royce to Five Nine, Eminem. But that's probably the most accessible, and I think Westside Gun has the most charisma out of all of them. All of them. So I think Westside Gun would be a good intro into the Griselda record. What would Sheen Gun do? Because listening to Pray for Paris would be like taking that first line of coke. And then if you want the two, next two <laughs> lines of coke, you would listen to the Griselda record. What would she going to do? I thought you were going to say, uh, obviously, Joey Backpack. Yeah, I thought you were going to say Joey Backpack, too. I don't think it's worth getting into the story of Joey Backpack. That's a different Terry Talks podcast. That is. Yeah, that's we're, the, we're gonna have a that's when Kendrick Lamar's new album backpack. comes out. We'll tell the story about it. Of we'll do backpack. a Joey Backpack episode. I like that idea. We'll, we'll just do a Kendrick episode. What? No, <laughs> Who's no, we'll, sorry, we'll do a Joey backpack. Episode. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Um, so that is, wait, Grizella? Grizelda. So Grizelda Records, and then the three artists: West Side Gun, Benny the Butcher, Conway the Machine. They're all great. I suggest check out West Side Gun, and then check out the Grizelda name just in general because that's what everything you'll find. And they're just, not just rap. Like West Side Gun is leading. Like he does things in the fashion world. They're producing a movie that's supposed to come out soon that I oh, saw the wow. trailer for that did not look very good. It was very indie <laughs> and it was very like set in Buffalo and like some of them are acting in it and it does not look very good. I'll probably watch it just because I liked it. I also watched, they have a documentary that I watched, a documentary series on YouTube that I watched that I found uh, fun. So, Do you think there will be a movie that better represents Buffalo than Bruce Almighty? <laughs> There's a First movie that just came oh, out. First Reforms in Buffalo? No, it's they talk about upstate. Buffalo. It's like no. I think it's yeah, it's an upstate, but she mentions going to... It looks Buffalo. like where we live. It does. That's why I asked. There's just, a 2020 movie, I believe, where someone is stuck in Buffalo and can't get out. So then they like start a heist or something. I forget what it's called. Buffaloed? Buffaloed, yeah. yeah. So, Are you fucking with me? No, I'm not. It's real. There's Look it up on Letterboxd. I heard it's I, good. <laughs> well, the first thing I thought was like, I need to check out reviews for that. If there's a movie about my city and the reviews weren't very Buffalo good. Buffalo Load? Like, I don't remember how long ago that was. I, I feel like it's in the top 50 right now for Letterboxd, but that might be because nothing's come out. <laughs> All right. Joey Backpack, Buffalo Load. <laughs> <laughs> are, these are future episodes, yes, you're saying? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Well, 
That's Griselda Records. You can find them on Spotify or I assume anywhere you listen to music. Mm -hmm. Okay, so easily my favorite thing that I've consumed, watched, read, anything during quarantine has been Fleabag on Amazon Prime. This is Phoebe Waller-Bridge show. She got the idea for this show. Well, originally it was a one-woman show in London um, that Amazon eventually wanted to adapt into a full series. And it starts being about a sex addict played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And it's only 12 episodes, which is so sad. I would kill for more Fleabag. It starts with her being a sex addict, but it evolves into this unique comedy that tackles trauma and grief and self-forgiveness and these heavier themes in one of the most exciting ways I've ever seen. I don't actually watch a lot of comedic content because a lot of it just doesn't do it for me. Comedy is obviously very subjective, but like The Office, um, shows like that I've never really clicked with. But I was hooked on Fleabag from like the first moment she turns to the camera and breaks the fourth wall, which is something I love, but this show ties that notion even breaking the fourth wall into its themes as we the audience kind of represent her baggage and all the grief she's carrying with her um as well as the wall she's built up to kind of protect herself from this pain so she incorporates the idea of breaking to the audience for comedy she incorporates that into the themes of the story she's trying to tell everyone is absolutely amazing in it um but standout performances are obviously phoebe who is endlessly witty from the jump. Olivia Coleman's in it as well, who is deliciously evil playing Phoebe Waller-Bridge's stepmother. Um, all the characters don't really even have names. It's like father, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character's name is Fleabag. Um, the love interest is Priest, um, played by Andrew Scott, who is amazing and transforms the entire second season. It is just, without a doubt, my favorite comedy I've ever watched. It is one of my favorite shows, and I can't recommend it enough. This and Watchmen are like the two things I've been recommending to people all 2020, but unfortunately, I finished the HBO Watchmen series right before <laughs> quarantine started, so it didn't technically qualify for this podcast, but if you have not seen Fleabag, I cannot recommend it enough. You can finish it in an afternoon, because like I said, it's 12, like 22-minute episodes on Amazon Prime, but it is amazing. I really want to watch it. I didn't even know it was a one-woman one woman show before it was a TV show. And when you told me that, that piqued my interest so much more. Yeah, and the one-woman show is basically the first season. It's so good. Um, and it originally wasn't available for streaming, but since COVID started, they made it available for streaming and it costs, I think, $5. And they donate all that money to people on the front line, which is so cool. And as soon as I found that out and finished the show, I immediately bought it and watched it with a friend and it was just as good as the show. So I highly recommend that as well, but Fleabag, the TV show. Where can you watch the show? Amazon Prime. And BBC streaming, if you're in another country, I think, but Amazon Prime in the States. Yeah. Or you could pirate it if you don't like Amazon. Yes, you could do that. <laughs> or you could buy it on Blu-ray, but it's very expensive, I checked. Speaking, From Amazon. <laughs> speaking of capitalistic greed, I recommend Sorry to Bother You. Ryan, tell us a little bit about Sorry to Bother You. It's a Boots Riley film. Boots Riley was the lead vocalist of The Coup, and I think another band that I'm forgetting the Who's... name of. Street Sweeper Social Club. Don't know anything about them. Do know The Coup. <laughs> um, 
It's about an Oakland telemarketer named Cassius Green, played by Lakeith Stanfield, who is surprisingly really good at telemarketing, and he gets, like, propelled into this world of greed. He becomes, like, a top telemarketer. What do they call him? Like, oh, what? upper level or something? Yeah, a PR or something? Yeah. Oh, power. power a power. Yeah, a yeah. power. Wait, have you seen it? Power yeah, call. we watched it together. Oh, you guys watched it together? Yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> oh, a power caller. And um, it's just this scathing um, look at how capitalism and greed affects not just our lives and our livelihood, but, like, our physical being and mm-hmm. health. And it's funny. It's witty. It's great. It's a really hard movie to talk about because if you talk about anything, it's a spoiler. But it's got Lakeith Stanfield, Tessa Thompson, Army Hammer, Terry Crews, Stephen Young. One of the it is a movie that I don't think I will ever see anything like it again. I think we were comparing it to like if Charlie Kaufman made comedies or if uh, the Coen Brothers decide to. Like, we, we were pulling from these places, but then I realized, like, halfway through the film, I was like, this is nothing I've ever seen before. This is just sorry to bother you. And it, it's it's crazy. I can't say too much. Yeah, it's hard. It's one I of those I feel like movies. I've already said too much. It's all right. I, I'm sold. Boots Riley identifies as a communist, so <laughs> I am sold. I will watch Sponsor, this. Sponsor. We're going to get sponsors. <laughs> well, can we not talk about communism and get sponsorships? Does, does Chapo have sponsorships? Oh, I don't think so. Anchor will sponsor us. You, you got to pay for Chapo, dude. Patreon. But not all episodes. But they have a Patreon and some of their episodes. You have to pay for the Chapo Trap House podcast? Why would they have to make money? <laughs> they can just, that's their living. Anyway, what really is. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk about it later. Anyway, um, what I really appreciated about Sorry to Bother You is that with all the stuff going on right now all the horrible things coming out that the police are doing and all the amazing things that um the protesters are doing it was when you're thinking about that you're in that mindset like all day it can be hard it can be depressing but it's hard to take your mind off it and you almost feel like you're doing a disservice if you're taking your mind off it but sorry to bother you is about the same themes that we're talking about right now um regarding capitalism and the police and all that but it does it in a way that's funny and fun without ever being not scathing like you were talking about it's never it never goes light on the people it's um persecuting but at the same time it is still fun to watch and rewatchable it's extremely absurd but it's like the whole premise and funnily enough something later on in my list as well the whole premise is okay we're let's take capitalism let's take uh work environments let's take the corporate like we're all friends and we're just trying to get jobs done together type attitude let's take all of that and push it towards its most logical disgusting conclusion and let's make it as absurd and funny as possible Mm -hmm. and let's just laugh at it and let's i mean it never says like let's only laugh it very much says we need to do something about it but it's it's almost like this situation is so ridiculous that when you pull back everything going on it's hard not to just laugh at it Mm -hmm. and i think that that's a really powerful 
statement to say as long as it's not just for like the South Park satirical take as long as you're actually saying something along with it you know it's it's not making fun of everything it's laser focused on one thing mm-hmm. and it it does that far and away one of the best film critiques I've seen of society we live in a society <laughs> watching watching it after Joker and it, it, it makes this movie look better oh yeah definitely so that's Sorry to Bother You, directed by Boots Riley, and it's on Hulu right now, so be sure to check that out. Ethan, what's another thing you've enjoyed? This quarantine, this quarantine, like this fall, this summer, this quarantine, I listened to, <laughs> or I watched all of BoJack Horseman. I watched it in like a week. There are six seasons, and it's all on Netflix as a Netflix show. It started in 2014, and it just ended this January. Here's a little plot summary for you. So... <laughs> Uh, the series takes place in Hollywood, which is Hollywood af- after the D is taken and destroyed. So it's just Hollywood, and everyone refers to it as Hollywood from now <laughs> Okay. On. So it lives in a world where humans and I don't know how to pronounce this word anthropomorphic. 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 Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Bojack Horseman is the washed-up <laughs> star of the 1990s sitcom Horse and Around. So Bojack Horseman is the main character of the show, obviously, and he's a, just a washed-up actor who isn't really doing much, and it just follows basically him so he plans to launch a comeback early the, the first season and he hires Allison Brie Deanne Nugent or Deanne Nugent played by Allison Brie to write a book for him ghost write a book for him about his life and slowly you discover Bojack's life is just filled with trauma and Bojack has a lot of problems but then as the show goes on you meet his other friends uh his girlfriend or his on and off girlfriend Princess Carolyn uh his roommate kind of but more of just like a leech kind of living in his house todd who's played by uh aaron paul and then uh mr peanut butter which is his like rival but they're also friends they hang out a lot who is actually dating diane in the beginning of the show so it goes on for six seasons and i i loved almost every minute of it so what draws a lot of people and what why it gets so much critical acclaim i think is because it takes a realistic approach despite being set in a world with animals like walking around and talking and like interspecial relationships <laughs> and and despite having a look that is very comical and does not take itself serious it does take itself very serious and its take on depression trauma addiction self-destruction self-destructive behavior sexism sexuality and just like the human condition in general is very uh breathtaking for an animated show that is seems like at first it's like oh this is just a funny show where you it's like a funny world you you create hollywood you make them animals like they make a lot of jokes like you forget it sometimes like you're watching it's like oh that's princess carolyn but she's like a cat talking like talking in a business meeting but they, they make jokes about that but that being said what kept me watching this show was its comedic style and its characters so, in the beginning, I would say probably the weakest season is the first season. That being said, I wasn't bored during the first season. And I, characteristics of BoJack and his family and just, like, his lifestyle kept me going for the first season. But I really became addicted to watching Princess Carolyn and Mr. Peanut Butter and Todd. Like, these are probably the three side characters. I would say Diane is probably the second main character. But they are just so fun and it's fun to watch Mr. Peanut Butter. If you're not familiar with the show, Mr. Peanut Butter is a very 
joyful guy while Bojack Horseman's not. And like Princess Carolyn is like the businesswoman. Todd Chavez is like the I don't know like homeless like <laughs> playful guy. And they all evolve in their own certain ways, and they all their lives run parallel to each other and intersect. But you fall in love with each one. And in the beginning, I was like, I was getting annoyed by certain characters. Like at first, I loved Diane, but later in the show, she becomes not my favorite. And at first, I hated Mr. Peanut Butter, but at the end of the show, I was I I loved every scene with him. And uh, yeah, and I think the comedic sense, like most things I'm looking at right now describe it as dark comedy and it is that but it also isn't like there is a lot of puns and i feel like there is something for everybody because the characters are so diverse and so nuanced that everybody can find something relatable or even just enjoyable to watch them interact with each other and then interact with their lives and also like it takes place in like fake hollywood made by people who obviously spend a lot of time in Hollywood, so it is kind of a satire in that, and knowing a lot about movies and TV shows and just that culture in general, that it was also interesting and fun to watch. But overall, it's it's just a great show. It's funny, but it's also serious, and it's got some great, like, one, like there is, this is a series where I'm like, oh, these are single episodes that I will remember forever, and I wish that I could, and I probably could, buy these single episodes or buy, like, Bojack. These are things that I want to save because these are just... Mm-hmm. They've created such a concise but compelling story with some of the most compelling characters I've seen in television or just in media in general. It ended this year, right? Ended in January. And it ended very well. And I, once again, the first season's probably the weakest, but in their six seasons, the five seasons after that are just as consistent and enjoyable as the next. And I think there's no reason to stop. And I like I couldn't stop. And... There are definitely episodes, and you can look on IMDb. Where there are episodes where like this twenty-two minute episode is a masterpiece, and like I've heard a lot about. Is it a black and white episode or a silent episode? So there's a silent episode. There's a call like there. I would say, off my head right now, I can think of like four standout episodes that are like all take place. Like ones, one I can't even talk about. It's the second last episode. <laughs> I'm not even gonna mention that, but that's easily one of the best episodes of television I've ever seen. Uh, there's the all silent episode, which is great, which I actually didn't, I was doing homework. This was during school still. I was sent home because of quarantine. I was watching, I was doing homework, homework and I was, had to focus on it because there was a timeline. So I didn't watch the episode at all. It was just in the background. I was like, why is, because usually I watch back Bojack Horseman. I would type and like watch it at the same time. But nothing was happening. I was like, what the, it's not even on. And then I look up and it was like an all underwater episode. I was like, what's going on? And then I watched it again after my homework was on. I was like, oh, that was one of the best episodes. That's <laughs> all. But yeah, it's it's great, and I I really do think it, there is something for everybody. And if you're worried that it's like, it's too sad, like yeah, but it's really it is a comedy and it is an animated show, and I would say it has, you know, sometimes more in line with, like an Adult Swim, like Rick and Morty show, than rather than, like a drama that, is known to, take on issues of depression, addiction, stuff like that. Like, it's a lot more... I would say it's more Rick and Morty than it is. I don't know. This is us. <laughs> this is us. Yeah, it's more Rick and Morty than this is us. Awesome. So, that's BoJack Horseman on Netflix. Yep. Continuing on the topic of shows, because we have a few now. Um, I had the pleasure of watching all of Cowboy Bebop this quarantine. And this show's beloved 
among anime fans, among fans of TV in general, among fans of sci-fi or noir, and it deserves all that acclaim it gets. Um, you kind of recognize that just from the beginning. I was telling Ryan that I think this is the best TV sh- intro ever. <laughs> Just watch Tank, which is the opening song on YouTube, if you are on the fence about watching this show. The premise of the show is basically the futuristic misadventures and tragedies of an easygoing bounty hunter and his partners, as according to IMDb. Um, So that's Spike Spiegel, Jet Black, um, Fade Valentine, Ed, and their Corgi Ein, who is probably my favorite character, the dog. And it just follows these characters as each episode they go on a hunt for someone who has a bounty on their head it seems to never go according to plan and they're constantly poor looking for money it's amazing how often the need for food is a driver in animated shows Um, i actually really appreciate that last airbender like every other episode is yeah (laughs) it does feel that way but these are wholly unique and fleshed out characters that seem to have full arcs right under our noses um i say that because in the latter half of like the second act of the show, if like the whole show were one movie, I was starting to get frustrated that I didn't think the characters were growing at all. And then the last episode kind of culminates the growth that all of them have had. And you realize how different the characters are from where they started, um, with the exception of Spike Spiegel. And he kind of acts as this anchor for the whole show. And I really appreciate that. I really liked seeing the conflict between all these characters as they grow and change or some remain the same. It is endlessly cool as it incorporates the genres of Western, of sci-fi, of noir, all into this neat futuristic package. It has like one of the best jazz soundtracks of any show. I don't know. I don't know jazz very well, but it is absolutely amazing. The director and the showrunner of the series uh shinchiro watanabe i believe his name is he also did samurai shampoo which is similar to cowboy bebop in the sense that the whole show has like a hip-hop soundtrack and i know that these two shows is how like some of my friends have gotten into hip-hop and jazz just because they incorporate those um genres and motifs so well and like i alluded to it's it's a very unique science fiction ideation of the future but it just serves as a backdrop to these classic tales of finding a place to belong in the case of Faye or not being able to let go of the past in the case of Spike and I enjoyed all that and I related to these themes that don't you don't always find in these epic tales of a science fiction future. I also got the movie on dvd which was kind of hard to find it is literally not streaming anywhere so i bought a copy on ebay and the movie is great it's just like a two hour long version of an episode of the tv show so highly recommend all of it it's on hulu and also what's nice is the dub is actually very good so um i know some people get frustrated including myself with anime because the art is so good but you hate having to like look down at the subtitles and usually dubs are even worse and even more distracting but definitely not the case in cowboy bebop you can watch the whole show dubbed or subbed on hulu but you're gonna have to work a little harder if you wanted to watch the movie i've heard cowboy bebop is like one of the first good subs the same company that did cowboy bebop 
does a bunch of anime now that are like classics uh, called Funimation. That's mm-hmm. the dub. And then the Animation House is the same as uh, kind of the same. It was like a bunch of people split off of Sunrise who did Cowboy Bebop and left. And once one of that new production house called Bones Show was Full Metal Alchemist, which is okay. my favorite show. Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is my favorite show of all time. Mm-hmm. So I've been really meaning to watch Cowboy Bebop, and it's the same dub house. There's no, there's been no reason for me to not watch it. It was on Hulu. I guess the only reason it would have been streaming, but now it's been on Hulu for a while. So yeah. there is no reason. Yeah, because you, you talked about the show before it was even on my radar years ago, but... It was I beat you to my, it. <laughs> it was always on my list. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of fell out with anime. Not for any reason other than I kind of watched a lot in one span and had my fill for that time. And I really, like, I really want to go back and start watching some of the, like, classic anime. And I think I'm going to start with Cowboy Bebop. So. I definitely think you should. It's only 22 episodes and then the movie, so it's not a big ask, but and highly I, recommend it, I too. I need to do it while I'm home because I don't want my <laughs> movie. Oh, yeah, because I own it, so you could just watch it. There you go. Um, cool. So that's Cowboy Bebop on Hulu currently. Ryan, give us another. So this is something you recommended to me, and we watched together right after watching, was it Airbender? Or was, oh, we were playing Zombies. We were playing Call of Duty Zombies, and we watched the second episode of Middle Ditch and Schwartz. Yes. If you don't know what Middle Ditch and Schwartz is, it's a comedy special with thomas milditch from silicon, silicon valley, valley. <laughs> you just assumed he wouldn't know well i've only seen silicon valley now oh. we're going to talk about silicon valley <laughs> and ben schwartz from parks and rec and more notably sonic yes he is sonic also the earliest show if anyone's familiar with that funnier die shows oh that's right he was on and they do they just do an hour long of improv mm-hmm. or roughly 45 minutes, 40 minutes, of just long-form improv. They interview someone in the audience. They try and get as much information out of that person as possible to paint the scene. And then they just go launch into an improv show. It's two people at the top of their craft. And it seems like they know each other so well that they can predict each other's comedic movements to a T. I just rewatched the second episode. So it was pretty helpful (laughs) knowing... Which we were supposed to watch together, but I couldn't. But you didn't. You watched it without me. You've seen the first episode twice. Yeah. I, I mean, we've seen all of them. But... I already watched all of them. Yeah, but, honestly. But something I noticed is, like, there's this great bit where one of the, where Thomas Milditch asks, asks what are, what if it's a, where it's a contrast class, and Milditch asks, what if it's a digital contract? And that's when I noticed that, like, they will spearhead certain bits. And, like, the other person will go back and let that person fulfill that bit. Because mm-hmm. they, they know that that person has an idea. And they don't want to ruin that idea. Mm-hmm. So, like, Ben Schwartz is still doing his thing and being funny. But he, Middle Ditch, starts the bit. And then he becomes the teacher to fulfill the bit. And, like, if you're rewatching it, you notice those little things. And it's, it's just insane to see these people craft a show in front of your eyes and it's even funnier when they mess it up sometimes (laughs) like they'll forget characters and then bring them back later for like this dramatic reveal oh i love that it's so good i feel like for me personally ben schwartz 
is more about structure when it comes to improv and middle ditch is more about jokes so like middle ditch makes me laugh more but ben schwartz is able to create like the overall story that connects everything and not to say that ben schwartz isn't funny and middle ditch doesn't care about the story but their unique skills make them such a good combination together. It is so funny. I love Middle Ditch and Schwartz. And the other absolute, there's two crazy things. One, they play the same characters. Yes. So, like, they're constantly swapping as to who plays what. Sometimes their accents will change. <laughs> and then the other thing is they manage to tie in every single person, every single thing that the person being interviewed says into a hilarious, um, vivid picture like the one interviewer makes an offhand joke about aliens and so ben schwartz feels the need to tie aliens into the plot or how they're how she says her favorite teacher is a contracts teacher and so they make the entire point of the special about contracts i'm only talking about one because i don't want to give the other two away and that was the one i started on it's my favorite but it's just crazy what you're talking about is how they'll interview people at the beginning just to get an idea for the kind of story they're going to tell um, and then incorporate those ideas into the improv special. Yeah, and they never forget. Mm-hmm. Like, they never leave a detail out. It's mm-hmm. insane. Yeah, so there are three episodes and they're all on Netflix. And I think the cool is, I I don't know, but like I feel like we all had different favorite episodes maybe. I think so. My favorite's the first one. My favorite's the second. Yeah, my, well, you said it was the first? Yeah, the first episode. Uh, mine's the first as well. Okay. <laughs> But, or maybe the second. I don't know. I don't know. What happened to the third one? Which one was that? SNL guy is who he interviews. Oh, yeah. That one's funny. See, they're all great. The point I'm trying to make is that they're all, like, they're all great, and I think you'll find something fun out of all of them. And they are so... Their chemistry is obviously great, like Clayton talked about. But they're also very comfortable on stage and with each other. Yes. That they, like, are willing to kind of, like, take risks and do, like, things because they trust themselves and they trust the other person to do something funny with it and that trust and that chemistry shows and is probably what makes the show and makes the netflix special awesome so that's middle ditch and schwartz on netflix highly recommend from all three of us ethan do you have another thing you'd like to share so this is my last topic and we'll lead into clayton's topic but this is a video game i've been playing again recently again because i played it maybe two years ago Maybe, but The Last of Us, since The Last of Us 2 just came out, but I've been playing through The Last of Us 1, and it was released in 2013, PlayStation exclusive, made by Naughty Dog. It's, uh, and I think most people are aware of it, it's a very popular game. It is, uh, it's fun. I, uh, I used to have problems with it, and I still do have some problems with it, but overall, the atmosphere that Naughty Dog creates, and then the characters are just compelling enough, and I just... I don't know if it's the genre or survival games in general, but I find uh, the gameplay mechanics maybe not as developed as other PlayStation exclusives like God of War, but there's enough there, and it's fun to keep you going. And I haven't played the second one, obviously, but playing through the first one again, I'm having a lot of fun. I'm finding it easier than I remember, and I'm playing it on survival mode. Maybe I should have played it on Grounded, which is the hardest one, but I looked it up. And oh, I did the DLC on Grounded, not Survival. Oh, I'm doing Survival. You're better at video games, so I wasn't surprised that you were finding it easier okay. than me, but Grounded is harder. Right. Yeah, well, I'm playing, oh, I was going to play Grounded, and I was like, no, I don't want to, like, I don't want to spend, I already played Last of Us once, so I was like, yeah. but then I was like, 
but survival so far it's been easy like i like i die every once in a while but usually it's just kind of like stupid mistakes where i'm not really paying attention but yeah overall for, it's like a survival game like it's not as hard as like i feel like maybe some people might pin it as but it, it's fun and it is and even if you don't love the narrative experience because even younger me didn't like it as much as i appreciate it now i think it's definitely worth a play just because the characters are fun to watch and the dialogue is interesting and the world is developed enough to where uh it's just it's a fun ride and i don't really get bored the pacing's pretty good so overall it, it's just structured well as a game and i'm on naughty dog is have become naturals of that through their uncharted games a lot of my friends love last of us and they've been pushing for me to play it for years so i knew the story would be good but i wasn't expecting to like the gameplay as much as i do mm-hmm. like i love my favorite part about the game honestly is like scavenging for like supplements or tools and slowly upgrading your character because ethan finds the game easier than i do because he's more of a natural video games but um it is hard in the beginning like i remember i was stuck on like a clicker part Mm -hmm. for like an hour and a half and then i got an upgrade to where i could shiv them and boom i never really got stuck on clickers again and Mm -hmm. slowly being able to upgrade my character i enjoyed so much and Based on your critiques and enjoyments of The Last of Us Part 1, I think you're going to enjoy Part 2 even more. Okay. Would you say it's harder than Part 1? Also, also mm, I might be biased. Yes, I think. Yeah. Also, I might be wrong because I this is my second time playing through it. So, maybe I'm just like naturally. also did play a lot of the multiplayer before I even started the story. Yeah. So, I have a lot of experience just with that UI because I played a lot of multiplayer when I was younger because I, I found The Last of Us multiplayer. I didn't even mention that just because I'm not replaying it during quarantine. But The Last of Us multiplayer <laughs> was fantastic. I don't even know if the second one is multiplayer. It will. It doesn't right now. I think they're doing a Red Dead Redemption thing where it's like, play the story and then we're going to release the multiplayer in a couple yeah. weeks because they're... It seems kind of bare bones, like there's more to come. Uh, I played the first half of the game, and I really want to go back and finish it. I've it, was, it, was so, it was so good, Ryan stopped halfway through. <laughs> well, that's every game. It's, I finished Spider-Man, like, four weeks ago. Yeah, so, and we made a podcast on that years ago, I literally. Know, I'm, I'm so bad at finishing video games. But I really want to play this game. Um, I remember really loving the gameplay and the story. I think I was probably a bit too young to, like, really appreciate it. Yeah. I haven't beaten Last of Us, but I plan on finishing it, like, within this month, next month, 30-day span, (laughs) giving myself a lot of time. Yeah. uh, Whenever Ethan's done so I can get my PS4 back. (laughs) And um, then moving on to Last of Us 2. Again, so so you can both play it while I'm here, because I got the disc. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Now that we're all living together. Awesome. So that's last of us and kind of last of us part two haven't finished it yet but recommend both as yeah of right if, it's, now. if it's good enough i would do a podcast on it but depends oh, if it's yeah. good enough that'd we'll be see. fun yeah we'll see and as ethan kind of alluded to that leads into my next recommendation um which is naughty dog's other flagship franchise uncharted so sony did something that was actually pretty cool is they made the uncharted collection and journey free to play like not free but we don't technically give you the license like it does with a uh, playstation completely free to download oh they, like you have the game yeah like i own the game oh, now that's cool yeah they did this free to play initiative for uncharted collection and journey as a stay-at-home kind of thing so that this was right when quarantine was starting so people would have something to do 
So I downloaded that right away, and I played through Journey, which is amazing. It made me cry, but um, not my pick, uh, Uncharted. I cannot recommend these games enough. They are such a blast to play. I think James Willems talked about it on Funhouse. He was like, oh, this is what Indiana Jones feels like. This is how it feels to play Indiana Jones. And you get that immediately when you drop into a temple and there are booby traps that you're avoiding and bridges are collapsing. The games on a whole have amazing set pieces, but because it's Naughty Dog, they also have these deep characters. So you've got Nathan Drake, who has this inner yearning for greatness. Like it's with the treasure, it seems like it's never really about money. It's about earning this sense of pride that he has and earning like being a descendant of Francis Drake. It's like earning that treasure hunter level. And you have his companions, including Sully, who's like his older mentor. And you have Elena Fisher, who is amazing. She's like a reporter slash love interest for him. And all three of those characters are on in all three games. But you have other characters like Chloe, who's actually the protagonist of Lost Legacy. And all these side characters that you never really get formal backstories of. They just show up in the story. But it's still you still are so attached to the characters and again in a video game that can only take you so far but the gameplay in these games is really amazing i don't think the gunplay is quite as good as the last of us but it has better platforming in my opinion because that's a larger part of the game it has more interesting puzzles that i struggle with because i'm bad at video games but i that do feel more rewarding when you accomplish them and i also love like the treasure hunting aspect because there are a bunch of collectibles that as you collect you can actually unlock like character skins you can play as and like a collection of concept art so it really tapped into all the things that I enjoy in video games while telling a compelling story and I can't recommend these games enough I don't think they're free completely free anymore but I know both are pretty cheap on the PlayStation store so highly recommend it I don't think you own it right Ryan you own it I've played Uncharted multiplayer, Uncharted Three multiplayer, uh, which is interesting. Which is interesting <laughs> because it, I remember playing it because I think I played it when I was playing Last of Us multiplayer. It differs from Last of Us gameplay, as in like the gun combat. It's uh, <laughs> this is the multiplayer maps, but I imagine it translates to the campaign as well. But uh, like it was multi-story like combat fighting and it was a lot of like parkour and stuff and it was like last of us that's but awesome you get a lot of ammo and like i the yeah the multiplayer was fun uh which is weird because like i think it was free i think the multiplayer was free i thought oh, maybe we did or because I, I we didn't have uncharted 3 we like clicked a separate like dlc thing and i would start up like an uncharted yeah, multiplayer I, and i, I would play uncharted yeah on the ps4 three three Oh, it's on the just PC. a separate... We still have it. That's our console. <laughs> I don't even know where it is right now. Is it downstairs? Yeah, it's downstairs. It's like a separate... It's completely separate from Uncharted 3, I think. Just the multiplayer. Which is really... It's really cool for a company to do that. Just like, here's the multiplayer. Yeah, it was fun. I don't know if anyone's playing it now. I was actually curious. I was like, is anyone playing the Last of Us 1 multiplayer? But I don't have Xbox. I don't have PlayStation now or whatever. They are still playing it because I played a little bit of it right oh, before yeah. 2 came out. Oh, I killed it. Play some Last of Us multiplayer. You can play it on my PS4 if you ever want. Also, I think it's... I mean, I own the Nathan Drake collection, so you can play it on there too. No, no I, don't, I, I was just have... going to say, they actually didn't remaster the multiplayer and that does suck. I know. As when Ethan told me that he had played the Uncharted multiplayer, I was like, well, I it guess was, I'll never get to experience it. It was actually it. because I was the only one who played it. 
only played against bots. It was just me. So. Oh, you and bots. It's like and Fortnite. It was, a, it, was in, it was in VR. Yeah. <laughs> and since Ryan just asked there, I will begrudgingly rank the Uncharted collection. I think I, you you did just I ask. Did ask. You yes, did, yeah. I was did we cut it? We must have cut it. I was curious. <laughs> Can I guess? Yeah, sure. Two, one, three. Obviously, Empire Strikes Back: A New Hope. No. <laughs> it probably goes three. Three is probably the best. And Three's then, my favorite, yeah. And then it probably goes one and then two. Yes, yeah, that's how I feel. Because one has some gameplay wonkiness, but has a better story than two. Two, I feel like it doesn't really give you a moment to breathe. That means it's a lot of fun to play, but story-wise it wasn't as good. Three, I feel like the gameplay is its most perfected in the collection, and it has a really, really good story. So three, one, two for me. But I know a lot of people disagree with that because I know two is like the most beloved one of the trilogy. Uh, question. Would you want a movie out of Uncharted? Yes, but Tom Holland is the incorrect char- person to play him. I think it should be Andrew Scott, who is in Fleabag, to tie it all back. <laughs> Interesting. Younger Nathan Fillion. Younger Nathan Fillion, maybe. He's too bulky, in He's my opinion. Bulky. Nathan do, Drake's like slender. Why do you think they should do a movie? Do you think they should just do a different story? Do you think they should take the story of Uncharted? Or do you think they should? They should do a different story. Okay. If they're going to do the story of Uncharted, I feel like it'll feel empty. Okay. So you would you'd rather just adventures with Nathan Drake continued into the medium of movies rather than an Uncharted movie? Yeah, I'd say so. I think Uncharted 4, I don't know that much about it, but I believe that it kind of wraps everything up. So I think doing a movie would be a fun way to like return to the younger Nathan Drake character, mm-hmm. but still do further adventures. Because it's implied that he's been on hundreds of adventures that we haven't seen. And, and that's what's cool. Like I mentioned... There's probably Definitely, a lot yeah. they could do with that. And I know they released... There is a short film that you can watch that is a Nathan Drake short film. And I think... Yes. What's his name played him? A mm-hmm. voice actor. And I forget his name. Nolan... Nolan North. Nolan North. I think he played him. Maybe I'm wrong. Huh? I'm going to watch all those because I know there's a Nathan Fillion one too. I'm going to watch all those after I finish Uncharted 4 because most of them came out after Uncharted 4. So I don't didn't want to risk anything. <laughs> Speaking of late stage capitalism, <laughs> Nathan for you is the best reality tv show would you call it a reality tv show reality yeah. tv show ever made and i don't think that he's yawning that's a good sign <laughs> nervous i don't call back <laughs> i don't think that that's an overstatement it is about nathan fielder who goes to small businesses and helps them out <laughs> and that's all you quote unquote need. help yeah quote unquote it's basically like it's this really bad business consultant who comes up with like the most ridiculous ideas to see if they'll help a business and like usually the business owners are too nice and they'll just go along with everything he <laughs> says and so like the i think it also ties into what, what i mean by comparing it sorry to bother you it's also like taking the ridiculousness of capitalism and taking it to its most horrid conclusion mm-hmm. where it's like, so this person is a travel agent and all of her clients are older. So why don't we make it a funeral service <laughs> so that when those clients start dying, she, they pay her for the services or like a moving company is struggling. So how can they, how can they cut wages while also, um, having workers, you turn it into a fitness craze. <laughs> it's these ridiculous ideas that get way too far in the planning stage than they possibly ever should. Like, there's one that's they make a giant grave for a pet fly, 
to advertise a pet store. Because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, people at pet cemeteries will want to buy a new pet because their pet's dead. It's just... And, and Nathan's such a funny host. Like, he almost... There's sometimes where he has a ton of involvement. There's sometimes where he has, like, no involvement. And all the comedy just sort of happens around him. Yeah. He's, like... He's totally charismatic <laughs> He is so awkward. He's so bland. So yeah, bland. he's so, like, I don't even know, meager. Distinctly unlikable. <laughs> yes. And it's, it helps so much that they have to, like, pretend to like this guy. <laughs> and it's very much he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And um, he, like, he's playing a character. And they just go along with it because they don't know what else to do. I mean, they probably paid them. The production crew probably paid them to be there. So it's like they're probably making a little bit of money off of it. Mm -hmm. But, like, how do you... I think the broader theme of of the show is trying to find a true connection and, like, friends in the horribly narcissistic business world. Yeah. Not, not just like the like the grossest like advertising world like the grossest like small companies who don't make it and like don't like don't do well like it's just like Nathan for you like puts himself in like a weird like Hollywood sphere not like Hollywood I guess like a California sphere I don't know if they're in California right but it's yeah. just like a lot of small businesses and people kind of sometimes willing to do whatever and uh, Nathan very much plays on it and it's very much a now show like you can only create this show like i feel like now because people are gullible enough to where they would fall for things like nathan for you still it's just like a lot of these people are naive to like internet culture it's just like like because nathan for you i'm not saying he's like mean but he like goes up to them and is very much like he's kind of mean he's kind of mean <laughs> no i'm saying i'm mean like, he's oh, like oh, I'm, mean. Mean. I'm saying like these people don't understand him like, oh yeah, yeah. Like, these people don't understand his show and he like even hit like and that's kind of the point like they're mm-hmm. not they're not supposed to be in on the joke but uh yeah, I don't know. But I was going to say that uh, the first episode that I watched, I don't know about you guys, was the episode you showed us, the Jimmy Kimmel episode. Yes. And I think that's a good introduction to Nathan for you and kind of, like, who he is. Because, like, it, like, related to Jimmy. And, like, he pulled off, like, a stunt that was, like, so funny and, like, worked everything together. And I was like, I now know exactly who this guy is and I want to watch more of him. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened, so. There are people who, like, he either tries to like become friends with them or like get people together as love interests Mm -hmm. or he will like bring out the worst in people there's one guy who's like desperately trying to get this pregnant uh, woman to give birth in his taxi cab so that it will be (laughs) on the news yeah and you'll get a bunch of free press or like one of my favorite episodes is the rebate episode where he there's a rebate for a gas station where the gas only costs like a buck and the people pay like $23, $30 for gas, but they want the rebate so bad that they're willing to follow Nathan to the rebate box, which is in a mountain <laughs> that you can only get to on foot. And he made, and he has them solve riddles <laughs> to get through it. But there's, uh, well, I don't want to spoil it. Sorry. <laughs> it's a great. That's a great episode. Though. That is a good one. It's just like, it's the little moments of humanity when those people that stay in the rebate group start talking to each other yeah. and, like, really getting to know each other and, like, the ridiculous backdrop of everything going on with the show. And, like, it, it's almost like the business idea at the beginning gets totally lost by the end. 
you don't you forget that he's trying to help in air quotes a business yeah and like with the show's finale it's like the logical conclusion of this logical conclusion about capitalism and friendship you know he's like this whole time he's been trying to meet people through improving their bottom line so how does he meet a love interest he pays her you know what i mean it's like the logical extension of what he's doing as a businessman as a quote-unquote businessman (laughs) i thought was interesting that in finding francis when he's talking to her he's the only like that's the only person in the show that he's really willing to give like a look behind the curtain yeah despite the fact that like she's an escort mm-hmm. and like that's kind of not like it's looked down upon and yet he's the only one that's like here's my show here's the facade that i put up mm-hmm. i think that that's really interesting and it's someone he's paying to tell her that yeah exactly yeah i think the best thing about it for you is that he creates such like a i want to say like a fake world but such like a one built on like appearances like it's so like fake and he creates like this he like, creates these scenarios that are just, like, so ridiculous mm-hmm. that, like, the true personality of these people, and since he removes himself kind of person personality-wise from the situation, the, like, these poor people sometimes, <laughs> it, like, uh, but sometimes, like, you, you all you get is genuine emotion because of the filter that the show puts these people through is that they're only going to produce genuine, mm-hmm. non-prepared moments because, like... He just, how do you prepare for that? So uh, I think that's the most interesting part of the show is what need for you can really get out of these seemingly ordinary people who become very unordinary when you start to watch. People will act very guarded and very professional on television. And so he feels like his job is to completely get rid of the armor and to expose them for who they, what, who they really are and how they act in person. Or, like, the very ridiculous things that they say. It's it's a really endearing show. There's so much humanity in it. That That's why it's enough for me to mention. It's not just hilarious, but it's also, like... I think the thesis of the show is how do we find these moments in such a desolate and horrible economy. I have one more thing that um, I'll go over quickly because we're running a little long and also... This is a book, and books are for babies. What do we always say, Ryan? Books are for babies, movies are for adults. Up top. That's why we started this podcast. It's not called, uh, you have to read this. <laughs> it's also not called, you have to watch this. Huh? Um, no, but jokes aside, the favorite book that I got to read during quarantine. <laughs> I gave like a smile and his teeth out. And, like, he never really does that. And I was just confused. I was self-conscious about my teeth. My teeth used to look terrible. <laughs> now that my teeth look scary, I still don't want to smile. Well, that's fine. Like, you're smiling. Like, you're laughing now. So that's natural. But you like, you like a forced <laughs> smile. <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, we'll put a picture of Ryan's teeth smile on our Patreon. Patreon. We don't have a Patreon. No, we, we don't. Do, we don't get paid for this. Okay, quick book time. Um, I read *The Future of Humanity* by Mashio Kaku, who is a thinker, scientist, smart person, astrophysicist that I've followed for a long time. Um, I got to see him talk at UB when I was a sophomore in high school, and it was so cool. And this book kind of delves into similar topics that he's been talking about his whole life. Just a deep optimism about humanity and its future. And that was really good to be reading during a pandemic for me. It was cool to think if we can just get through the next 200 years, 
what could the next 2,000 years look like? What could the next 2 million years look like? Because he tackles topics on AI and immortality and what it's going to take for us to become a type 1 civilization, a type 2 civilization, with hopes of eventually leaving this solar system and then maybe even the galaxy or the universe. And he talks about like how that's all possible and how some of the absurd ideas from science fiction aren't actually that, that far off if we look at a timeline of like thousands of years. And to read about all that, to learn about all these amazing things that are going on beyond us was really comforting during this time of complete turmoil. It was nice to see a future that looked okay on the other end. So I really enjoyed The Future of Humanity by Mishio Kaku. I highly recommend it. It's also very easy to read. It's mostly in layman's terms. There were a couple things on fusion engines that went over my head, but um, for the most part, he speaks in a very um, easy to understand way. And he breaks up the chapters into like smaller sections. So a chapter will be made up of like 12 to 15 sections that are like one to five pages long. That makes it really good to read kind of in parts and at your own pace. Um, so I, I know science books can probably be daunting for people, but I wholly enjoyed this one and I cannot recommend it enough. And we get to end the podcast on a positive note, unless we wanted to go around and do like a lightning round of other things we've enjoyed. Rick and Morty season four is really good. The second half is really fucking good. Also, Heavy Rain. That was a lot of fun. Kind of stupid, but... It was it was a lot of fun to play, but the, it was really dumb. <laughs> Ryan, lightning round. Uh, I've been, I listened to uh, King Gizzards and the Lizard Wizards, um, Microtonal Flying Banana. Never heard anything like it in popular music. I'm so glad that their band's exploring microtones and these crazy music theory ideas that only, like, different cultures experiment with and, like, the craziest classical musicians and or jazz musicians. And it's really cool that a modern rock band is going in that territory they're amazing king gizzard the band that your fans love <laughs> that's true 2019 release but i just listened to it and listened to all his work recently jpeg mafia all my heroes are cornballs great album experimental hip-hop never heard anything like it over the garden wall it's all on hulu incredible art direction very autumnal setting two kids wandering around a forest running into unique creatures and people very funny, but also very hopeful and down to earth and highly recommend. Again, it's all on Hulu. It's 10 episodes, but they're like 11 minutes. So it's more like a movie. Ryan. The Graduate, a great movie about generational divide and how uh, what uh, it seems right for us, but seems like the right path, what seems like the path that everyone above us is willing to plant for us is sometimes not right and sometimes based on lies and sometimes based on whatever other people are projecting onto you. And it's a very bizarre movie <laughs> in some ways, but thoroughly enjoyable. Ethan. Purple Moonlight Pages by R.A.P. Ferreira, a.k.a. Milo. Milo's best work, in my opinion, and his most, the most, his, the most him. <laughs> the project that is most him, and I think everyone should check it out. Great jazz album. Quarantine has finally allowed me to finish Red Dead Redemption 2. It took me literally like a year and a half, but this is an amazing game. Um, I love all the characters from Arthur, who you play as, to Sadie and Charles and Lenny. I love certain stranger missions, like the one with Charlotte up north. Just two friends being kind to one another and truly valuing one another. 
lot of dope missions like the hot air balloon mission, the cougar inside the cave mission, the black belly bounty hunter mission. These only mean anything if you played the game. I did have some problems with it. This video might be on YouTube by the time I, uh, by the time we upload this podcast, I will have it in the show notes if not. But I, there was this triumphant moving moment of Arthur riding a stolen horse back to base with the cinematic camera on and beautiful music playing. And I smashed into a guy while the game was playing for me. And that kind of encapsulates how I feel about this game. <laughs> a beautiful story being told through kind of wonky gameplay, but highly recommend at the end of the day, Red Dead Redemption 2. Let's go one more time around. Ryan. I've been trying to listen to a lot more diverse um, music in people's backgrounds and genders and identifications and race um, of a ton of different styles because I feel like that's a duty that I haven't been very good at. I've been decent at, but I want to get a lot better. So Stevie Wonder, Sly and the Family Stone, I mentioned King Gizzard earlier, um, although they're just Australian white. <laughs> Race, Rage Against the Machine, I've been going through their discography. Algiers, uh, Beyonce, who I've been giving a re-listen to lately. Um, Run the Jewels is amazing. I've always loved them. And then also, Talking Heads documentary. Uh, well, how did we get here? A brief history <laughs> on Talking Heads. I've seen it before, but I just rewatched it. It's 30 minutes. It's kind of boring, but like if you love the band, then it's really comprehensive of everything the band's about. It's kind of it kind of plays like a like a CBS Sunday Morning, okay, uh, type intro or not the intro sorry segment and um it i didn't even know that new wave was created because of talking heads as kind of a marketing ploy and uh (laughs) stop making sense is the best concert film the best live album and the best thing ever made (laughs) it is perfect and i don't think that's quarantine kind of it's not but ryan just wants to talk about talking heads now (laughs) just the documentary Mm -hmm. i rewatched the documentary a little bit, a good chunk of the documentary talked about Stop Making Sense, so I figured it was worth mm-hmm. bringing back up. No, definitely. I 100% agree. Stop Making Sense is perfect. <laughs> Ethan? Uh, Freddie Gibbs, Alfredo is good, but I just listened to all Freddie Gibbs recently. Uh, Freddie Gibbs is probably the best work, rapper working right now if you don't include like any people like Kendrick Lamar who hasn't released in two years. So Freddie Gibbs, great rapper. RTJ is great, too. RTJ4 is great, too. But RTJ2 is great, too. <laughs> RTJ2 is great for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. One last thing for me. Ryan and I played through XCOM 2, and I love XCOM and XCOM 2. Both so much fun. Um, I totally would have talked about that. I, I was hoping you would. I, I thought about it for a second walking out the door. All right, it's the end of the podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> Great strategy game. The story is so campy and fun. I got very angry at it a lot, but not as angry as I got at... What was the other game I got really angry at? Call of Duty? Call of Duty? Zombies. 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 We were doing zombies. the uh, you Easter egg. Angry at zombies. And we also accidentally, paid, we accidentally bought the game twice. Yes, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> Um, but XCOM 2, that's the final recommendation. One of my favorite games ever made. Both of them? Or the first second? I'm going to group them two together because they're very similar. Uh, do you think it's out of your top 20 games ever finished? <laughs> fuck, fuck you. Does it beat the other seven? I finished, I finished 20 games in my life. I believe you. You don't have to talk to me. <laughs> two of them are Yoshida Island games. I never finished the first one because it got really hard. So that is a feat. It is, I was like eight. <laughs> but... There you have it. That's a bunch of stuff that we've watched that we highly recommend. 
you watch if we're still cooped up for another few months. So you don't have to rewatch Tiger King, because let's be honest, Tiger King is overrated. Um, <laughs> just end with a dig for some reason. But thank you so much for listening. I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're caring for other people in this time. Thank you for listening. And I'm Clayton Terry. I'm Ryan Terry. And I'm Ethan Terry. And this was the Terry Talks Podcast. How do we end these? I don't remember. You, you say you something. Say something. Yeah. Defund the police. Uh, okay, we're leaving it there. <laughs> <laughs>